بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله Dear brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another Elmfeed podcast episode. I'm your host Fatima Barakatullah and today I have a guest with me um, who actually happened to be one of my uh, former classmates, Ustava uh, Saliha Bukhari, mashallah. Ustava Saliha completed her Alimiya studies and uh, the Dawratul Hadith program at London's Ibrahim College in 2018. She studied under many prominent UK scholars, including Mufti Barakatullah, I wonder who he is, <laughs> Sheikh Shams al-Duha, Sheikh uh, Akram Nadwi, Sheikh Sabini, um, Sheikh uh, Ashraf Zaman, um, and many others uh, from the college. She's also a student of Qari Bashir Ahmad Siddiq, of uh, Medina al-Munawwara and has received ijaza in the recitation of Quran from him. She's worked um, and she works as a member of the Muslim Women's Advisory Council uh, who specialize in consultation of Islamic uh, divorce for women and she's a chaplain at Canary Wharf and um, for the NHS, mashallah. And you're also a Quran and uh, Tajweed teacher, aren't you? Saliha, mashallah, Ustada yes. Saliha, and you deliver lectures and workshops in the community. Assalamu mm. alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's been a few years since we met. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were both students at Ibrahim College. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be able to tell our listeners and viewers, for those of them who have never heard of what an alimiya is, mm-hmm. Uh, and what Dawratul Hadith is. Could you just introduce, you know, what, what those programs are? Okay, so when I actually began my journey, um, well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on your program. Um, um, I appreciate, um, you know, just being here with you and just the opportunity to see you and to share my experience with everybody. Oh. But um, I think when I actually began the journey, I didn't think of the Alamiya, so I had no idea what the Alamiya program was myself. I was simply um, drawn to the idea of learning Arabic, um, mm. and so it was the Arabic intensive. So that's how I began the program. And when we joined the first year, all I had in mind was to be able to understand the language, to break down um, what the Quran was saying to me because we pray five times a day, you know, we quote the Quran in our lives, um, you know, amidst our families and we quote it, you know, to our children. And to be honest, I didn't know, I, you know, I couldn't always break down the words or the meanings behind what I was reading. So I think the language uh, what was is what drew me there. But um, after having spent a year there, I think by the time we was reaching the end of the year, the teachers would question us, are you staying on? Have you considered the Alamiya? And I would say at that point, I started questioning, what is the Alamiya? And so that's how I got introduced to the Alamiya program. And of course, then um, we were... um, you know, taught about the program. It was a four-year program after the Arabic intensive. Um, um, And as the name implies, it's intensive course done over the course of four years. Um, So it covered all of the Islamic sciences, but you start on a basic level. All the sources are in Arabic. So Mm -hmm. it's essential that you do the Arabic intensive or that you have that tool 
the language to be able to uh, decode everything that's in the books and to be able to engage with the discussions. Um, and it was vast, really. So we're talking about fiqh, Quran, uh, tafsir, um, aqidah, hadith. So it's very extensive. And obviously, over the years, um, you know, it develops, but not to mention that also your ability to read and write in Arabic. And I would say that was the most challenging. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely the most challenging. But at the end, what you're really looking at, I think, is so for me, I took each year as it came. In mm. fact, I would say I took each day as it came because <laughs> I never knew what the next day was going to hold yeah. for me. And there were many challenges that, you know, cropped up during that time. So really, I think through that, I learned that, you know, expect anything. Um, so at the end of every year, that question always confronted me, you know, am I continuing? So when I completed Alamia 1, it wasn't a question of, am I going to complete that Alamia? For me, it was just a question of, Shall I stop now or shall I continue? So Alamia 1 is the first year. The first year, yeah. that's right. Each year is called Alamia 1, 2, 3. 2 and, and 3 yeah. and 4, that's right. So I would say that's how I happened to, you know, um, progress through the course. And it, I, I would say it wasn't till year 3 and 4 that I really started questioning, well, hang on a moment, you know, I hadn't thought about doing the Alamia, but here I am. Um, mm. You know, and where am I going with this? So you do start questioning yourself. And of course, your teachers start questioning you. Um, and also they start alerting you about the responsibility that you've taken on. You know, as an alima, you know, they say you're about to qualify. Mm. You're about to come to the end of your course. Um, and, you know, there's this question of am I worthy? Um, you know, will I be able to represent the dean and will I be able to, you know, work with people in the community, in our society and, you know, uphold that, um, if you like, the respect um, that, you know, it requires to be doing this job. So it's it's quite a, uh, I would say it's quite a daunting task. And I think um, throughout that period, your teachers play such a big part mm. um, in, you know, helping you get ready for that role. Because I think that's where that self-doubt creeps in. You know, you start questioning yourself, am I the best candidate for this? You know, there are people out there who are much more talented, you know, who come from, you would say, the appropriate backgrounds, you know, or, uh, Islamic backgrounds. So there's a lot of questions of whether, you know, you're going to be able to fulfill this role. Um, so I would say it was something that I didn't necessarily plan out. But I think... Um, Alhamdulillah, I would say it's something, you know, sometimes we think we're planning, but really the best of planner is, you know, he's planning. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. we cannot envisage the plans he has for us. So Alhamdulillah, I think I, I began the journey, but I would say it was bestowed upon me. And I think that's something often our teachers uh, used to remind us and say that don't, you know, think that you've made this decision and that's why you're here. You're part of a bigger plan. And mm -hmm. the reason you're still here and you're still continuing is because Allah has plans for you. Um, so Alhamdulillah, I think that's what kept me going. Otherwise, you know, often you would think, well, you know, I'm not doing so well in this area or I'm not doing so well here. You know, I'm just about coping. Should I really be here? Um, at times, you know, you would feel really low and there's times when you'd feel great when you get a distinction in your essay. <laughs> so, so you know, you go through periods like that. Um, but Alhamdulillah, I would say by the end of Alimia, 
I took the advice of our teachers, you know, who said just accept that it's been bestowed on you, accept the role that's been given to you and, you know, try and prepare yourself for the duties because this is just the beginning. So when you mm. actually graduate, this is not the end. Yeah. You know, you were just beginning your line of education, if you like. You were just beginning to engage with the community, mm -hmm. with people and, you know, to use the knowledge that you've equipped yourself with. And then there's another test lying in wait for you because you know, um, going into the community, working with other people. And these are people who are relying on you, relying on your authority, um, trusting you, you know, with their lives, with the situations that they bring to you. So it's really a huge responsibility not to be taken lightly. And, you know, Definitely. often you can lose sleep over, you know, um, if you're involved with somebody helping them through yeah. a situation. Uh, you know, it can have a, a real serious effect on their life, you know, just from the kind of hookums you're giving them, from where you're directing them um, to the kind of beliefs you're uh, presenting to them. So so I would say that's how I came to the Alimia program. Um, and the Doratul Hadith, that was uh, an extra year, which is optional, which I chose to take. And I would say, again, our teachers <laughs> played a huge role there because the way they presented it was... Um, that you know you've been here for five years already it's just another year and if you look at it this way that you're spending a year in the company of the Prophet and the Sahabi um, mm. you know, so, so the Doratul Hadith is, is a, a hadith. whole year where you study the six hadith books right that's right so it's mm. hadith studies so it's basically yeah. a specialized year of hadith studies mm. uh, but i would also say it consolidates everything you've learned over the years so it yeah. kind of brings that together gels it together um and there's a lot more discussions mm. a lot more essay writing so you're exploring ideas mm. and you know things you've uh, agreed with disagreed with um and I think it helps you expand on that, definitely helps you grow um, and engage with the teachers more. Doratul Hadith, I would say I enjoyed it more because we were able to argue with the teachers, respectfully, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about when you, uh, you know, you're deriving hukums or you're discussing Hadith. Um, and I actually would say in terms of my growth, I probably grew the most in the Hadith classes. Um, and I would say with Mufti Barakatullah, and that's because he gave us freedom to talk. So what he would do is we're studying a set of uh, Hadith. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember I would always have my hand up politely because I disagreed with something he said. <laughs> and, you know, you would think, you know, he's, mashallah, you know, he's, I, I don't need to tell you his background, <laughs> but, you know, he's such a sort of role in our lives, you know, um, Mufti Sab, you probably know more than him than I do. Um, you know, he's a public role, but he's also uh, in the college, he's a senior lecturer, um, and nobody would question him. But what I really enjoyed is the fact that he allowed you to discuss in his class. He allowed you to grow. Mm. And I think sometimes he was entertaining us. <laughs> so he knew um, yeah. that, you know, he he knows right from wrong, but he just wants to see how we react. Mm. And often I would react. And, um, and I really enjoyed the discussions because it would be about issues where it involves men and women. So naturally he knew the women will feel a bit like, you know, so he might put something out there and say, okay, so here's an issue with marriage. Um, and the husband wants to take on another wife, and that's absolutely fine. But, you know, he's decided to keep it secret. And, 
you know, and that's his affair. And of course, all the sisters are sitting there sort of thinking, okay, that's not really sitting well with us. <laughs> so we want to debate issues like that. And I think we really enjoyed that because he allowed mm. the means, you know, we had the brothers on the other side um, and we were able to uh, share our arguments and, you know, share our own experiences and what we thought. And then he would conclude for us. And I think it, it was just such a wonderful way of learning firsthand from somebody, you know, who's in Islamic law already. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we're just students. But I think the fact that he stretched us that way and he allowed us to make mistakes and he would correct us or, you know, alternatively, if he felt that we made a valid point. And often I would say um, he instilled a lot of confidence in me because sometimes I would build up the courage and think, do I really want to say this? Because, you know, <laughs> everyone may laugh at me or, you know, they may think, oh, how silly. But often when I shared something with him, he would say, you know what, we haven't thought about that. And, um, you know, being a senior or mature student, he would say, well, you know, we can only get that kind of information from a woman who's, you know, married, had a family and lived through that time, mm. who can tell us from her experiences. So he was open to suggestions. And I think that really helped me build my confidence and kind of work out where I want to go with this. Um, and he certainly played a role in my life even after I finished my studies. He was always Aww. there suggesting, you know, suggesting paths for me, um, suggesting uh, suggesting where I could um, go with my skills. Um, and also with the, when there was a period where I worked with the Islamic Sharia Council, right, yeah. he, mm. you know, that, that period he supported me through. Mm. Um, and also with the Muslim Women's Advisory Council, that was something I came across via him also. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say he definitely played a part in my life even beyond college as most of the other teachers do as well. Mm. Uh, but I think Inshallah. Mufti Saab being, you know, senior and obviously um, having a role in public, um, I think he has uh, more of an idea, I guess, where students would be suited. And, um, Sounds and like he... He became sort of a father figure to you. Mashallah. Definitely, I would say, oh, mashallah, yeah. He was actually, um, after graduation in 2018, he was actually one of... I felt like he was a mentor to me, mentor to me, because he approached me and asked me to do a seminar with him on marriage. Um, oh yeah, I remember. and and that was you know something I would never put myself forward for <laughs> as uh, once having graduated. And I remember saying to him, uh, I, I you know I can't do that kind of thing. Uh, you know I've just graduated and I couldn't take on such a huge responsibility. And I think, like you say, just like a father would say to a daughter, he said, "Why not?" Um, and I said, well, because I've only just graduated. And he said, well, that's the reason you should be doing it, because mm. you've just finished, a, you know, graduation. You've just equipped yourself with all the tools mm -hmm. to engage with the public. And now's a better time than any. And he yeah. said, and he said, if you make a mistake, I'm right beside you. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, when he said that to me, it was like he made the decision easy. I yeah. thought, okay. You know, yeah, just sure. throw yourself in. And uh, and Alhamdulillah, it was such a lovely experience. Uh, not just Mufti Saab, but, um, you know, his wife also came along. And I think I did... You mean my mum? Your mum, <laughs> that's right, mashallah. Yeah. And um, Allah bless them. But, yeah, they played such a big role in just starting that off for me. And I mm. think it, it was... It felt like having your parents there to support mm. you, 
you know, through a crucial moment in your life, something that you never thought you would be able to do. And, you know, when they inspire confidence in you and say, you can do this. And not only that, they will tell you and advise you how to do things, what not to do, mm. what to abstain from. And so, yeah, so I would say that was the starting point of my public speaking, Getting out if there. you like. That's yeah, because right. yes. I, mm. I, I think with uh, my dad, with Mufti mm. Barakatullah, he, he's always had that attitude, you know, like yeah. uh, what you were mentioning in the class. You know, he's never, even growing up, he was never like dictatorial. No, <laughs> you no, know? he's so He's liberal. very sort yeah. of, um, well, getting us to think about mm. what we think, you know. Yeah. And sort of allowing us to come to our own conclusions, mm. even though they might be different to his. Uh, so I don't think he's afraid of, um, you know, younger people no, um, <laughs> challenging his opinions. And, uh, and I think younger people are actually comfortable in his presence. Mm. I've noticed, you know, um, most of the time, if you think about it, when I've been at the Sharia Council, for example, or even with the Muslim Women's Advisory Group, you often find mm. that the younger people tend to want younger um, scholars to consult with um, yeah. But you find with uh, Mufti Barakatullah, I think he can, you know, he appeals to all age ranges. Mm. It shows uh, you that we all need, and, mm. and one day we're going to play that role probably, inshallah. Inshallah, yeah. Um, mm. We all need people who have come before us to yes. kind of give us that push. That's you right. Because yes. yeah. a lot of us, we do suffer from that kind of self-doubt um, mm. or what they call imposter syndrome, you know, where That's you, right, where you yeah. start thinking, who am I, you yeah. know? Um, and I remember like... Uh, my parents, they were the ones who kind of forced me to start, to start. giving a circle mm. in our local mosque, you know, Finchley, North Finchley. And I was mm. really scared because I, I, was, a, I was a teenager and um, they were like adults all around me, ladies. Mm. And sometimes they, they would be quite aggressive even, you mm. know, like in, in the way they ask questions or challenge something I said. And, and I had to like learn to deal with that. But mm. I guess having your teachers, your elders, somebody there in the background saying, it's okay, yeah. keep going forward, you've got this, you know, you, you're you going to be able to do this um, and we'll support you. It mm. it really, uh, it's, you it's just what you someone has need. your back, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, we don't see um, our teachers as often as we used to. Yeah. But I remember they them saying that, you know, if ever you need anything, if ever you need advice or you want to check yourself, you know, for whatever it is, you can come and contact us. And I think that's oh something God. that I find quite unique to Ibrahim College mm. and our teachers there. And we had such an array of teachers there as well. I think that also builds your experience. Definitely. Um, you know, before, uh, before Ibrahim College, because I mm. had experience studying online, yeah. Um and it just doesn't compare, you know. No, no, it does. <laughs> Studying online, it might be good for certain types of periods of your life, like mm -hmm. when you have young kids or stuff like that. But once I heard that there was actually a physical seminary that you could go to, even mm. though it was like the other side of London. Yes. <laughs> and um my kids were all at school by that time. I just thought have to I've be got there. to do <laughs> yes. this. And yeah. like you're saying, subhanallah, I used to you know, when you walk in mm. to the college and then you'd hear people reciting Qur'an in the morning, you know, mm. there would be a Qur'an recitation. Um, and just from then onwards, you'd see the sisterhood, yeah, wouldn't you? Sure, and you'd see, yeah. like you said, that relationship with your teachers is, subhanAllah, I remember mm. when we were, uh, when I was thinking of which kind of university path to go on, mm. um, I could have gone to like a Western university, 
for undergraduate study. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember thinking very, uh, feeling very passionately that I need teachers who have iman, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I, I don't just want an orientalist or a an expert who might be an expert in Islam mm-hmm. on paper, but it hasn't in a way it hasn't benefited that person no. because they they don't have iman and they can't convey to me the tarbiyah that i need mm. you know no that's right and i think you're right yeah, like think... there's something unique about seminaries mm. where you have ulama basically and where you have you can sense that spirituality yeah um you know and like you said that sisterhood mm. and you almost feel like everybody understands because we're on that same you know level of iman, if you like, mm. and and you help each other through those journeys. And like you said, you often find throughout seminaries, well, in my experience, certainly, that you are tested more. You feel there's more trials present for some reason. You know, when you choose that path, you almost feel like you've not just begun a path of seeking knowledge, but your tests begin also. So it's all almost like a question of... You know, you've got a set of trials awaiting you. Endurance. Do like... you do you endure? Do you <laughs> yeah. give up? Um, can you get through and it? it can be a difficult, you know, decision to make for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and if you do decide to stay on, you know, you will be juggling quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's also how it's not necessarily, um, you know, about how well you're going to do it. It's whether you're going to make it to the end. Yeah. Uh, you know about getting through, and yeah. So... Well, I think that's probably truer for mm. people like myself and you who yeah. who were mature students right yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the luxury mm. of needing to get an a star and everything yeah. sort of had to go yeah <laughs> that, sometimes to let because go. <laughs> having children having yeah. a family yeah. at home so tell it tell me about that like what was it like like <laughs> I, I've got my own thoughts about it but you know we were literally in a class with other students who were mm. straight out of what A levels? Yeah, mashallah. Six Some form, of them were, so mashallah, they were like sixteen-year-olds, seventeen-year-olds, eighteen-year-olds. But also, there were as graduates as, as well, weren't they? There were graduates, yeah, yeah who graduated in and other subjects. A, hmm. We also had another sister who had younger children. Yeah, um, but you know, she was there also yeah. as a full-time mum. So, but most of them were like under early twenties yeah. or under. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, there's very few mature students. I think when you make a decision to go to studies, that's something you cannot think about that you Mm. know because it can be you know you often find people are deterred by that so I would say for me it wasn't really a question of you know uh, my age or the timing um, because you know at one time um, I'm talking about so you know in the 1990s for example, um, you know, you didn't have that kind of opportunity where you could come and study in a seminary exactly. in London, mm. you know, in the heart of East London. There were people traveling back to Egypt or, yeah. you know, other Muslim countries to seek that kind of knowledge. Mm. So I remember, you know, seeking, we used to, my husband and I, we used to travel to North London, you know, to take Arabic classes. And this was because a teacher had come over from Egypt who was teaching there. So you had to kind of seek out where yeah. these courses were taking place. And, you know, also we didn't have the means then. So, you know, naturally um, I followed the course of, of, you know, doing your A-levels, going to university. Um, And then after that, soon after that, I was married, you know, Mm. um, had a family. So Alhamdulillah for me, you know, family life was important and, you know, I wasn't career orientated. But what I mean to say by that was I didn't feel driven by 
anything un-Islamic. So mm. I felt that, okay, well, in that case, my calling is more, you know, to raise a family, to want to, mm. um, you know, sort of devote myself to that. But I would say when my children started growing up, I think, you know, when they start learning and you start helping them with their learning and they come home with homework, I would say at that point I started questioning myself that I didn't feel well equipped to be helping them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd been taught here myself, but, you know, I'd actually um, been taught in East London Moss myself because I grew up into our hamlets. Uh, my father taught me as well. So, you know, we had exposure uh, when we were young. And, of course, we never had anything, any um, institutions or seminaries then. So when my children actually began coming home, I started thinking, you know, I'm not really um, well equipped to help them. You know, I can't correct them. I used to often just circle their books and say, well, ask your teacher how to read this. And we're talking about the Quran or Qaeda. Mm. Um but even then, it didn't have an effect on me in the sense that I thought, well, they're very young. I can't really um, make that time or, you know. Um, so I guess you could say in a way I wasn't motivated enough or something was holding me back. But I think um, sometimes it takes a tragedy in our life to make us move. Um, um, and, you know, I think that's what happened. So in 2007, um, and this is actually something I talked about in... Um, um, in my speech when I graduated is that um, when I lost my mother uh, in 2007 she uh, passed away and mm. I think that was a time where I thought about you know you you reflect on your whole life even though it's somebody else but it's someone very close to you mm. and it makes you reflect on your whole life and question you know where you are where you're going um, mm. and what you can do for the person who's left you and I would say I felt very disabled in the sense that I thought here I am you know I've lost my mother and alhamdulillah you know I didn't have a regret I didn't sort of think why or you know why me the kind of questions that usually come up I thought alhamdulillah you know her time is up um, and Allah has taken her back but I felt um, the disability in the sense I thought what can I do for her you know here mm. I am I'm still here and so obviously I turned to what I could do for her. Um, and as we know, one of the things we can do for our parents is pray, um, you know, and there's sadka jariya you can do on their behalf. Um, but the one that I struggled with was, you know, do, uh, reciting Quran for her. So I wanted to do that for her. And I would, and I'm not joking, but I would start a verse in the Quran and I wouldn't be able to finish the verse off because I wouldn't know how to pronounce something. Mm. I didn't know, you know, if it was... Because I didn't know the rules, and so I didn't know, do I do a wunna here, do I not? So I would often stop, take it to my father and say, look, how do I read this? So he would tell me. But if you imagine, you're stopping at every verse, asking questions. So I wasn't getting very far. And and I found that really frustrating. But not only frustrating, it made me question myself that I'm going to follow her, you know, and we don't know when our time will come. And here I am, you know in the middle of my life, you know, I have young children who are dependent on me. And not only um, am I unable to read for my mother, but I cannot even teach my children what I cannot do myself. So mm. it just made me question my whole life. And, you know, when you um, go through a tragedy like that, especially when you lose somebody that close, you know, your mother and us girls tend to be closer to our mothers. And my mother certainly was, you know, she played such a uh, 
big role in my life as all mothers do but I think she was quite different as well um and what I mean by that is that she was she came from a very traditional background but her thinking was very different when we came um so she was the first generation here my father and my mother here in um London and they settled here in Tower Hamlets from but from where was that from Bangladesh okay so sure. they so if you imagine my father you know um traveled over to work here mm-hmm. um and uh, they settled here and my mother was such a great support because though she came from a traditional background she used to always try so we have three sisters and a brother she would always encourage her daughters as well and say you know the world is your oyster kind of thing you know you can do whatever you want if you want mm. to study you study if you're happy you know marrying and settling down um then you know so be it but she didn't make you feel that that was the only path for you mm. and i would say that's how she played a role in my life because i started questioning well i'd like to be more than a wife uh, but the irony is this that actually after my studies all i wanted to do is be married and settled and have mm. children um but somewhere in that journey i think you start questioning your purpose and i think that was i would say that was when i lost my mother um and that was when i started my journey not necessarily doing the arabic or alamiya but i started looking you know to seek uh, seeking lessons in quran mm-hmm. and i would say that's where i started taking part time classes um and i also began part time classes in arabic and i remember after three terms i thought okay that's enough for me and i gave up as you do of <laughs> course so that was something i did over the years i would start arabic i would give up and think no this is just too hard i you know i can't commit to it it's what exactly was it about the classes that would mm. so i think with arabic up? it's another language yeah um, so it's a completely different language and and you know and obviously then you've got the grammar you know it's totally different to english and to your own language um and it just felt like you know you're not getting it mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people can relate to this because i have a lot of friends and contacts who often tell me oh yes i've i've studied arabic but i've given it up yeah um and you know some of them have actually come back to it and i would say my reasons were i gave it up because i did find it difficult with younger children yeah um but it never left my mind i felt a sense of responsibility because i thought mm. how am i going to connect to the quran if i don't understand arabic so you know you know yeah. there is a link there and you know what's expected from you but i guess you kind of shy away from it or run away from it with your excuses that oh well i have young children and you know i have responsibilities i'm mm. uh, you know i'm a home builder and how can i manage all of that um but i would say what happened with me is i think when my children were at an age where they were beginning secondary school so my youngest was in year 6 um and at that point um my quran teacher she said to me uh, in fact um you know she also played a big role in um quran for me ustad uh, amina so you you um may know of her as well mm. and i remember she told me about the arabic intensive um and so you know every time i would ask her more and more about it and she would tell me how wonderfully the first cohort of students were doing and how well they were doing um and then i started thinking well you know what my son's about to begin secondary school i think i've done as much as i can for them in terms yeah. of you know 
um, character building and supporting them. Mm -hmm. And that's something I can still continue doing uh, because my timings would be similar to theirs. We will be going in the morning, returning home in the evening, and we can support each other through our studies. So I would say that's when I made my decision, okay, I'm going to go back to Arabic. Because I don't think you ever give it up thinking... Mm that you don't want to come back to it. Yeah, I think you keep telling yourself, thing, yeah, you it's keep telling term. yourself it's not the time now, it's not the yeah. time now. And and I think the most important thing is we are afraid of commitment. Mm. I certainly am. Sometimes when you make a commitment, you know what's in store for you. And I think it's the fear, uh, you know, of how you're mm. going to cope. So I think that stops us as well. I think a lot of mm. a lot of people on the path to knowledge, yeah, they mm. will have obstacles. Mm. Um but one of the things I always noticed was the people who succeed long term mm. are the ones who are not not necessarily it's, it's not necessarily true that they never had any obstacles. They actually have had have. obstacles. Mm. It's just that they got back up and yes. then carried on mm. where most people just would have given Stop. up. That's stopped. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So I think as with any uh, like challenge in life, mm. if you've got a goal Yes. Uh, you get thrown off track. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get, it's, it, it, you know, the mark of your strength is whether you can get back up. Absolutely. And as yeah. soon as possible, get back on track, mm. I think. I'll share something um, that my husband often told me throughout those years when yeah. I used to, um, I, when you find you've met an obstacle, and I would talk to him and say, you know, I'm not sure, so sure now if I want to carry on. And he would often say this to me, and then I started saying it to other people. He would say, obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off the goal. <laughs> and so, wow. and that would make me smile because I would yeah. think he's absolutely right. I have taken my eyes off the goal. It's true. Um, and, you know, and that <clears throat> diverts your attention. And if you think about it, um, and, and those lines actually kept me going through those years. So I would often you know, take my eyes off the goals and think, that's right, okay, I have a goal, so get back to it. And this would mean it doesn't matter what's coming your way, you know, whether it's sickness, whether your car's broken down, you know, whether your child is unwell, your husband's unwell, you've got some family issues, you know, that you're dealing with. I think uh, the question you'd always ask yourself is not, um, am I going to stop or continue? But how am I going to move forward? Right. So it's more about how. So your strategy uh, has to change. Yeah, your strategy. Although def- your goal may still be the, the same. Yeah, so right? your goal remains. Mm. And I think um, another thing which played a part in carrying on, because you could easily give up. Anyone can give up at any point. You know, right. it's like running a race. You can give up whenever <laughs> you like. Yeah. But most people want to make it to the end. Mm. And I think what kept me going as well was definitely is that you think, you know, you think you made the decision and that's why you're here, but ultimately you're only there because Allah's chosen you to be there. Because if you think about, there was numerous sisters in the uh, first year, um, which is the Arabic intensive, and we were almost halved by the first or second right. year of Alamiya. Exactly. So, so if every you think about year, we all had intention. Every year it yes. seems that people would, some people would carry on, carry on. but... A number of people would not would would wouldn't drop carry out, on, and you yeah. know for whatever reason, mm. and some would have some serious reasons, mm. and others some less serious reasons. But you know everyone's different. But I think ultimately, what you need to accept is that if you're still there, it's not entirely just down to you. Uh, you know you've been chosen to be there, and whether 
how you complete that path is what you're going to be deciding. But the fact that Allah's placed you there mm-hmm. and he's taken you through this journey right to the end. Um, and I honestly did ask my question that when we reached the end, Alhamdulillah, I remember thinking, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. But throughout the journeys, even when you do your assignments um, and you actually get a distinction, you think, you know, there's been some error that can't be me. Um, yeah. And I remember going home and actually saying these words to my husband, you know, I think the teacher might have made a mistake, shall I ask him to remark it? Mm. And he would say, students usually ask that, you know, for their assignments to be remarked when it's low. You're questioning it the other way around, that when you've been given, you know, a worthy mark, you can't accept that it's your work. So I thought about it. So I think there was a lot of uh, self-doubt, um, you know, just can I do this? And was that really me? Or, you know, mm. has something gone wrong? But I think those were the years of building confidence. And those, mm. I think that reassured me more and more that it wasn't my doing. So it's not what we do. It's the ability that Allah puts in us. So, you know, you could say that Allah inspired me to do that work because I didn't feel I had the ability. Um, I, you simply put in the work and Allah gives you the results. But even when you get the results, you still question them because you think, mm. I'm not, surely I'm not capable of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there were times when you didn't achieve and you would think, well, that was definitely me. And you think, and I think at the end of the day, what it boils down to really is you put in the work and whatever result you get, Alhamdulillah, that's from Allah. And, you know, um, and that's what he wanted to give you. And I think even upon graduating, and I think throughout the years, Alhamdulillah, you know, we had the opportunity um, to meet um, Sheikh Qari Bashir Ahmed um, from Medina. And we had the opportunity to read to him. Mm-hmm. And even with that, you know, um, there were many, um, you know, talented students who were reading to him. Um, and even our teachers, mashallah, you know, they were so talented. And I would say that I never, ever saw myself... Um, you know, taking it that far. I simply wanted to be in their company, to learn, to be influenced by them and to be able to, you know, keep up um, that skill if you like. Because I thought, you know, the Quran is something, um, you know, it's going to be a companion, not in just in your life, but even in your qabr, you know, and even in the hereafter. So it's something that we really need to bring close to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what perhaps brought me close to the Quran and definitely, you know, being in that environment in Ibrahim College, like you said, you know, experiencing uh, our teachers um, and other students and listening to that recitation first thing in the morning and also having our Jumma, you know, our yeah. khutbas um, and just having all those beautiful recitations on the Friday. That definitely inspired me and I thought, I want to be able to recite beautifully like our teachers and, yeah, you know, and I think that's what uh, made me keen about wanting to recite to uh, Sheikh Qari Bashir. And I remember re- reciting to him, and and this is no exaggeration, but he spent five minutes with me just on the ta'awud, <laughs> which is the bismillah. Oh and I remember sweating profusely, thinking, yeah. subhanAllah, this is a great sheikh from Medina, and I can barely get past my bismillah. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. You know, a'udhu billah and bismillah. And... Uh, but alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, you know, that we had that opportunity yeah. because I remember thinking, okay, I'm never coming back again. I never want to read to him again. Yeah. Um, and I was so embarrassed, but he didn't show any, you know, yeah. any sort of anything on his face. He was just um, 
consistently saying, okay, this is how you do it, this is how you do it. Spent the five minutes until I could say it. And he said, okay, go and work on that. And so this is how he spent time with me. And, you know, and he was an el he's an elderly sheikh, so he would often get angry and you would get upset and think, oh, you know, he's upset. You know, I couldn't read. I couldn't really? live up to his standards. You'd go away. You'd rectify that. You'd come back. Um, and so, you know, I spent a year like this because he visits every year around um, around this time of year, you know, February, March, he would visit. And I remember that year he told me I had so many mistakes. He said, you need to fix this, you need to fix that. <laughs> you're very nasally. You know, you're not pronouncing your heavy letters uh, correctly. Mm. And and um, I remember thinking, okay, you know, I might as well just go and give up now. Yeah. You know, what's the point? But you know what it is? I, I think... There was a sense of determination. No, um, you know, Allah's put me on this path because he thinks I should improve myself. And the fact that I'm that bad means that I need to, I need help. Right. And so that's what, you know, made me determined to stay on. And also his company, just being in his company and listening to the recitation, such a blessing. And the wisdom yeah. that you just learn from your teachers, as you know, you know, the kind of gems he would just share from us as you're reading, um, progressing through the Quran, and he would tell you something specific about a verse or the context to it or the story or the background or, you know, certain du'as, for example, he would say you can use this for um, patients who've suffered um, uh, paralysis, for example. And so we just uh, were able to share such wisdom from him. Um, I think a lot of... Um like uh, people don't realize that mm. actually learning tajweed which is uh, the art of reciting the quran yeah. is actually a must for every muslim like yes. to a certain level mm. you know uh, because we all have to recite quran in That's the salah right, yeah. we all have to recite some quran mm -hmm. in our lives especially in salah and um, there's certain types of mistakes aren't there that are actually could make a person fall into sin. Sin, that's right, yeah. yes. So uh, major mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's, there are minor, more detailed aspects to yeah. Tajweed, which mm -hmm. might not be obligatory, but I guess when you do master them, mm -hmm. you enjoy reciting Quran, you mm. you feel it, you, you experience it. And then yeah, with I'm the Arabic, I don't know, subhanAllah, I, I want to ask you actually mm -hmm. how, because I'll, I'll share with you my first... Tarawih, mm -hmm. after I had started learning Arabic and mm -hmm. Tajweed. It was a completely different experience. You know, I was in yeah. Egypt and I remember standing in the Salah and just crying and crying because for the first time I could actually yeah, I understand mm -hmm. the beautiful words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and it was almost like a new, a new beginning. It was like, you know, like I was asleep mm -hmm. and I'd w awoken learning arabic for me was was that dramatic yeah. um how has your life changed since you've because you talked about mm. what it was like before you know the struggles the how has your life changed uh since uh, getting to an advanced level mm. in tajweed and in arabic i i would say um it's definitely played a role in connecting me to the quran and i still don't believe um, that I have the kind of level that you can go to. So our aim should be the level that, you know, the Sahabi uh, had at the time of the Prophet ﷺ when he taught them the Qur'an and he not only taught them the Qur'an, you know, word 
uh, word for word, but also the meaning behind it. In fact, there was a time, you know, when the Sahabi, they would not learn more than 10 verses, and these are related in hadiths, um, until they understood the meaning or, of those words. And we don't mean just the verbal meaning, but the meaning in terms of actions, how you act upon those verses. And I think that's where we lack today. Um, in fact, there is a hadith, um, which um, in which the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned that there will be a time, um, he said to the Sahabi, that a time will come when the Qurras will be many, but the Fuqaha will be few. Mm. And I believe, you know, this is the time that we're witnessing or experiencing, if you like, where we, uh, you know, we can recite the words very easily. Um, and, you know, we have a, an abundance of huffaz, mashallah. But I think where we're lacking is the meaning of the Quran. Um, and like you say, you know, when you feel it and you actually connect to it, this is when your eyes will flow mm. or this is when your heart will feel. And I think that's where I would say it's had the most effect and what I enjoy the most now is actually teaching the surahs um, and when the students say what are we reading can you give us a little bit of tafsir or can you explain to us and and, and I'll just give you an example of a simple surah but um, we were reading um, uh, a surah takathur um, so when you uh, say A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhaakum Al-Takathur Yeah um, So Now if you don't understand the meaning It's not going to have much impact But if you think about it Alhaakum Al-Takathur That you know just um, We're so busy engaging in the world mm. You know and we've been made heedless By um, wanting to gather um, our, the material goods in our world mm. so, <coughs> yeah? so we've been made busy by that until you reach your qabr uh, so yeah. can you see when you actually um, follow what you're saying and if you're whether you're doing it in your salah or whether you're doing it while you're reading it with others if you actually follow the meanings and this is something I've advised my own students I've said try and understand the meaning not only will it help you in the memorization because you know what you're saying but it will also have effect on how you feel and how you connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and alhamdulillah those students who have applied that they've come back to me and said you know um i found that my salat in my salat i'm, I'm taking longer i'm reflecting on what i'm saying but i can actually recite the surah slowly mm -hmm. and it's not going wrong because we've all been taught in childhood you know you kind of roll it off your tongues mm -hmm. and you think i've done it <laughs> you know yeah. it's like i've memorized it um so I think that that is definitely the benefit that it can bring in your life, the fact that you feel connected to Allah and the message. And there's a message in every surah, especially the shorter surahs, um, you'll find there's a lot of meaning. You know, when we begin with the four quls, for example, you know, therein you have like, you have shifa, you have protection, you know, from, you have protection from evil, from jinns, from black magic, etc. Um, and then, you know, as you progress through those surahs in Juzamma, you know, Allah's telling you uh, to protect yourself from, you know, backbiting, slandering. So Humaz, Surah Humaza, for example. Um, and then you have other surahs talking about, you know, how you treat the orphans, mm. um, how you treat just the unfortunate people. So there's so many reminders in there for us. And throughout the Quran, you know, all the stories of the prophets um, and just the conversations that Allah's having with us. I think that's the most important thing. It's a note 
from you know your creator to you mm. and um and i think someone once gave an example i can't remember the source of this it's like a letter from your beloved mm. but you're reading it again and again and again but not knowing what he's saying to you subhanallah imagine Do if you, you see? <laughs> if you had a message from mm. a king or a, yeah. you know the queen and, and uh, you couldn't understand it in yeah. the original language you would like and you're in awe you of could. him, right? You're in awe of him, and you know, you know, he's majestic, and mm. you know, he's the all-powerful. And still, you're thinking you're going to grasp this note, hold it to your chest, kiss it, <laughs> but just not know what's in it. Um, so, so really, I think you know, if you can, first thing is, um, I think someone's beautifully said it once. It's something I'm working on at the moment. I've been asked to help with the translation. Uh, it's a sister in Egypt who's. Um, translating a book from Arabic um, to English and it's actually beautiful because it's about the Quran um, and what it mentions is that with the Sahabi the Prophet ﷺ, what was important is they had faith first and then they learned them uh, then they memorized so meaning do you remember when I said to you that the Sahabi uh, would not memorize um, they would memorize 10 verses but they would not move on until they understood that, that yeah. but understood in terms of uh, their actions, and only then they would move on. So the way um, this book explains it is that these actions um, come from faith. So what it is, what the Sahabi held was faith. So they believed when the Prophet ﷺ brought the message to them. And then once you've confirmed that faith, then you learn the meaning of the words. Then you learn the, you know, application of those words, and then you've made it whole because you've tied in your faith with the meaning. And mm. I think. You could say we have faith, so we say we have faith, we believe, we recite the Quran, but we don't understand. So how will we apply? Do you mm -hmm. see? So we're missing yeah. a link somewhere. Um, and you know, and it's true. You can be told by others. You can, you know, go to the fuqaha and say, look, how do we do this? And what do we do? Where is the source? And the fuqaha can say to you, look, the source is in the Quran. But we all need to be at a point where we can understand things for ourselves. And, Definitely. you know, when you get stuck, that's when you can go to a fuqaha or, you, you know, um, and, and ask those questions where you're not equipped to make a decision. Exactly. But in our everyday lives, our family, our children, you know, um, whether our spouses, they need that kind of hukum. You know, we're dependent on that. And it goes back to what you were saying, um, you know, the Qur'an. Um, reading the Quran is fardul ayn on us. It's not something you know yeah. that can be uh, excused. An Fard individual, yeah, it's an individual yeah. uh, obligation. Whereas um, when we were talking about the tajweed, for example, that is fardul kifaya, and what I mean by that is there has to be somebody who's teaching Quran you know, with the observation of the rules, etc. Um, and that will take the obligation off the rest if there are a few representing you. But in terms of actually reading the Quran um, correctly, then that is an obligation upon each individual. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to make that distinction. Uh, but certainly for anybody who has intention of teaching the Quran, um, and I would say we need to remember um, the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith uh, in Sahih Bukhari that خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَهُ So mm -hmm. that was also something that drove me. I thought, well, if the best of those amongst you are the ones who learn the Quran and teach it, I remember thinking, well, I want to be one of them. And Shana. so obviously then, then you have to learn the Quran, then teach it. 
but to learn it and teach it in fact to learn it doesn't take much but to teach it you have to know much much more mm. and i think that's where your um i would say that's where your knowledge grows mashallah uh, yeah so for that so brothers and sisters uh, you know we all need to learn the how to read quran recite quran properly um at least to a certain level and also learn arabic because i'm telling you your your tarawih will never be the same again once you learn arabic and subhanallah in our times i would say there are so many means uh to learning arabic uh personally i don't know what you think about this uh salihah but um i'm actually quite against people learning arabic in english Right. Okay, because because the institute that I went to in Egypt. How do you mean? Sorry, in English. Okay, what yeah, what I mean oh. is using English as the medium. Oh, I see. Okay. Of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, because the institute I went to in Egypt, they were very strict in right. that they would only speak Fusha Arabic. Okay. Right. Okay. Mm. From the moment you walked in, like you don't know anything, right? Like I walked in not knowing. any arabic they're speaking to you already and they're like yeah. speaking to you in yeah. fusha in uh, classical arabic and obviously they at first you start thinking oh, this is not going to work you know mm-hmm. how am i going to even get through class like you know not being able to speak and and they have like this uh, this box in right. the corner and if you speak amia which is egyptian uh, colloquial yeah. or if you speak another language english you have to like pay a fine <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay so they were like really strict yeah they you had to speak classical arabic from okay. the beginning i would say the first month it was like this this isn't going to work mm-hmm. but at some point something happens something clicks and suddenly it's almost like you start thinking in arabic mm-hmm. can you imagine like because it's not constantly being translated no no um so suddenly you just start thinking in arabic you start it, Arabic is not a language that you're translating into English. No. It's it becomes like your language. You're thinking in Arabic. Right. right? Yeah. Um so <clears throat> after having experienced that, although coming back to London like learning continuing my Arabic studies mm-hmm. with some English input was helpful. Mm-hmm. I would really say that I wish, I really wish that there were more courses out there mm-hmm. that used that same model um of teaching arabic mm-hmm. in arabic it's a bit like you know when they do esol courses right yes. like um english for speakers of other languages you wouldn't have <laughs> you wouldn't yes. you wouldn't teach english no no in like another like eastern european languages you know i think so um, i experienced something similar at mm, ibrahim college i can't okay. quite remember which year it began in i believe it might have been second second year I believe it might have been the second year of Alimi or third. And I remember we were told, so obviously you'd done that um, Arabic intensive, you'd done Alibi, Alimiya one. Yeah. Um, so at this point, I think the teachers expect that you have some, you know. Foundations, um, f- yeah. Yeah, so um, we were told that we couldn't use English anymore. <laughs> and, and I think, yeah. and teachers were wonderful. I mean, they just spoke Arabic, but it was for Sahar Arabic and it was very clear and they, you know, very uh, slow and, um and so you could pick it up but i think the problem was when trying to engage in a conversation or ask mm. questions and luckily we weren't made to pay fines otherwise i think we would have had a huge sum <laughs> yeah. um collected by the end of that year but um mm. i think somewhere along the lines we became lazy and and it's certainly a good point that you made yeah. because 
if you don't throw yourself into it, you will never, you know, uh, open flying. yourself yeah. up. And and it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. Yeah. It doesn't matter if anybody laughs at you, you can laugh at yourself. You have to get you know? over that. <laughs> you have to get over that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But it's um, really interesting what you said about Tajweed, because I remember like the first times when you're reciting mm-hmm. and it, it's almost like somebody slapping you on the wrist every time they correct you, you yes. know, the teacher. Especially for the basic stuff that you thought, you know, I've been reciting Basmala all my life. All your life, that's and, right. And, you know, it's the other. And even on that, you're being stopped, stopped at every letter right. or mm-hmm. every point. So I think for a lot of us, it does feel like a bit of a slap mm. on the wrist. And it does. I've noticed that some students at mm. that point feel so demotivated you that do. they you actually do. don't carry on. But... And often a lot of students think, well, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the wrong, wrong thing to think. I think that's think. the wrong attitude to have. <laughs> yeah. Because I can certainly tell you, if you had met me at that point, you would have said, okay, Salah's not going to make it in, the, you know, in, the, in this field. And, and it, it may have been true at that time. Mm. But the thing is, anything that you put your mind to and make effort in, uh, you know, remember, we have to make the intention, we choose the path, the rest is up to Allah, whether he's chosen that for us or not, whether he makes that possible for us or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the wonderful thing, that if you can assign yourself to the fact that it's not you who's going to pave the way, it's not all down to you, all you're doing is you're going to put the effort in. The results are from Allah. And I think so for us as Muslims, we really have it easy in the sense you think all I have to do is exert the effort. The mm. results are not Keep down going. to me. Yeah, yeah. Because Allah has made, he's already made the plans for you. Um, so he knows what your plans are. You're simply trying to work towards whatever he has planned for you. So it's mm. so beautiful. And what I mean by that is I had envisaged only being able to read um, I can honestly say I never thought of being a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to simply teach my children and be able to make dua and recite for my mother. Um, mm. And, you know, all, all our friends and relatives that have passed on, you just want to be able to do something for them. But I think, you know, Allah has been kind to me in the sense that, subhanAllah, look at the things that I wanted and look at what he's blessed me with. Uh, you know, I feel so blessed, alhamdulillah, that he's given me the ability to share that. So, you know, he's included me in the group of being able to share that kind of a knowledge. And not only that, by sharing that knowledge, by teaching, it also keeps you close to the Quran. Because I can honestly say, if it was something I wasn't teaching others, I don't know how attached I would be to the Quran. But I mm. remember there was a time, and I may have, I, I've shared this with some of my close friends. There was a time when um, I couldn't recite and I remember listening to other female reciters or listening to teachers and thinking I would really, oh Allah, I remember, you know, having these little conversations that you have with Allah and thinking, oh Allah, I want to be, you know, one of your better servants like those people there. I want to be able to recite your Quran so easily like they do. I want to be able to instead of humming nursery rhymes with my children, you know, just be able to recite Quran. And I thought, why doesn't it come from my mouth? Why don't Mm. I sing, you know, the way the other sisters do? Because you'd often find, you know, in that environment, you'd see sisters walking around reciting Reciting. the Quran. And it sounded beautiful. And I thought, I want my heart to be affected. Um, And Allah, you know, maybe he heard me or, you know, he had mercy on me, whatever it is. But now I don't have an excuse because he's put that in my path. And if I now turn away from it, I think then it will be on me. Because when Allah presents those opportunities for you, you have to take them. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, that's the point where, especially for us women, 
we mustn't see, you know, having um, children or having dependence on ourselves or having responsibilities at home, we mustn't see that as an obstacle. We need to think that, okay, Allah's put this opportunity my way, then there's a reason for it. Um, mm. Because not, uh, I think another thing is that you need to think there were, you know, the opportunities are not presented to everybody. That's so true. just the fact that you're there, you mm. know, that is half of success. In fact, that's something, another thing my husband used to often say, half of success is just being there. So often he used to say to me, to say, well, I can't do the work. I can't finish the assignment. I haven't revised. I've got an exam. He'll say, it doesn't matter. Just go and do however much you know, or just do as much as you can. Um, um, and because I did used to compare myself to the younger ones, you know, you yeah. think that, mashallah, you know, they were so, um, uh, you know, devoted to their studies, 24 hours, you know, they were just studying around the clock, they would stay late in the evenings. And we um, couldn't. <laughs> and we couldn't, and they could stay over at each other's houses, you know, yeah, kind of have yeah, a girls yeah. night Revising. in and study. And of course, you would think, oh, if only I was younger. Mm. You know, if only I didn't have those responsibilities. And then you think, no, there's advantages to being yeah. older. And Allah has chosen me for a specific reason. Mm. And it's that reason. He could have chosen you for when you were in your 20s, but he didn't. Yeah, I definitely felt mm. there were advantages to being mm. um, a slightly older student. Um, simply because you just have more life experience, right? Yes. So yes. Wh whatever was being discussed in class, mm. you could actually bring more to it. Yes. Um, and also you weren't so sort of accepting of everything. No, you know? that's right. You would <laughs> you, you'd be like, well, really? Well, in yes. my experience or that's thanks from what to I've having studied, our spouses, yeah. we, yeah. <laughs> we've mastered the skill of uh, um, arguing and debating, <laughs> if you like, yeah. and learning from each other. What were the advantages, do you think, of... Um, because there might be mm. listeners and viewers right now thinking, you know, what's I'm the advantage of being? <laughs> you know, I don't want to be in a class full of younger people or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, I would think. Um, I mean, th there was a moment where I did think that, and then I thought, you know, it might be a very lonely journey because you know you're <laughs> the only one there. But alhamdulillah, there were, like you said, like your, there was yourself and other sisters who were mature, but. At the same time, I think the younger ones were a blessing because yeah. you almost feel like this motherly protection towards <laughs> them, even though, yeah. you know, they're um, equally your colleagues. Uh, but I think um, I would say the advantages were that when we were having class discussions, for example, um, you know, I would feel that the younger students would present their arguments it's almost like it's based on theoretical knowledge. They mm. haven't been able to apply it in their own lives. So, for example, if we're talking about marriage, it's not that they've been married or, or that they've experienced a relationship yeah. or they've lived through those uh, trials and tests that a husband and wife go through or that they've experienced motherhood or that they've experienced what their children, you know, the problems that child, your children encounter throughout their yeah. Uh, young years or their older years or teenage years um, and also you know the kind of things you experience through um, your extended relations your mother-in-law your father-in-law brother-in-laws sister-in-laws so relations in general and that also remember it comes from Islam you know mm. keeping family ties um, and as you can imagine everybody in the class had one issue or another 
um, you know, as we all do. And we always judge by the cover, don't we? Because we always look at people and assume they're all smiling, so they must be all happy and all together in their life. Um, just the way we keep a smile on our face so that, you know, people can never know what's really going on. And so I think the important thing was us being in a class was that we were actually a great support to each other. And I would think often I would not feel comfortable enough to share my problems with the younger sisters because I did often feel, well, they might not understand. You know, they're very young, um, but at the same time, they were very supportive throughout the years in what, whichever way they could. Mm. Um, but at the times where I would meet yourself or Nulufe um, in my class or the other, you know, mature students, I think it was a breath of fresh air because you could kind of do your mature complaints, if you like, <laughs> you know, get things off your yeah. chest. Um so, yeah, definitely advantages. Another advantage I have to mention is when we had fit classes or hadith classes, often you would find, you know, you have uh, the brothers, mashallah, they're very engaging. They always have opinions. Um, you know, they get around. They've done khutbas. So there's just far more experience than sisters. So there was more conversation. And I think sometimes when we would get into conversations like rights of brothers and sisters, so we're talking about marital rights. And I think we were talking about how um, the... Um, husband, you know, can seek um, that satisfaction from his marital life. And I think there was a point we were reading in the book and and I will start, obviously, he didn't wrongly say that, you know, and so the husband can take enjoyment from his wife. Um, however, we kind of, that's all that was said and we moved on. And actually, I remember feeling well, you know, there are younger sisters here and I don't want them to go away thinking it's one-sided. Mm. Um, but, you know, then again, and at the same time, you're aware that this is a mixed class, you know, though you have a barrier in between, you've got the brothers on one side, uh, sisters on one side. But at the same time, you're thinking, well, there is no haya in education needs to be said. Mm. And so I remember raising my hand and saying, Stella, I'd like to just add something to that. Um and, and, you know, he very nobly and kindly let me. And I said, I'd just like to add that just as uh, the husbands can take enjoyment from their wives, the wives uh, similarly take enjoyment from their husbands. So it's it's just to emphasize that it's a two-way relationship. And I remember he just said, Jazakallah khair, and, and uh, we carried on. And uh, some of the younger sisters came, you know, up to me afterwards. And um, a couple of them said, oh, thank you for saying that. I was actually sitting there thinking, <laughs> what about us? <laughs> And so, you yeah. know, it's it was nice to be able to feel that. And I, mm. I feel that, you know, had I been a younger student myself, I probably would have been too shy to speak yeah, up definitely. or, you know, just not being able to come forward. Um, and I think many other experiences also, because you you have teenagers who are going through this similar situations, if you like. Mm. Um, so you feel you can relate to other teenagers through them and having been a teenager yourself, but also you can relate to the current uh, issues that teenagers face and I think that was often something I found the younger students ever came to me um, and it was usually as a you know older kind of mother auntie figure older mm. sister figure um, you know then I was able to kind of make suggestions to them with whatever it was that they were bringing to me and I think that relationship with the other younger students um, in this environment is probably what led me to 
um, chaplaincy because you know it's that caring that you're providing mm, anyway mm. and you're leaving your judgment because uh, when you're talking to somebody you know who comes to you with their problems you cannot be judging them so that's mm. the first thing you leave judgment at the door you're listening listening is a major skill you know a big skill mm. um, and then secondly if you're going to advise it's always suggestive of what they can do or, um, and also, you know, within the Islamic boundaries. So I think that kind of thing, it, it just helped me grow on those experiences with my own relationships. And I, I believe that's what took me to chaplaincy. But not only that you develop because you you are equipped more with your Islamic understanding and rulings and you're better able to uh, make suggestions to people. Could you just uh, tell us what, because I'm thinking a lot of uh, viewers and listeners might mm. not know what a chaplain is, mm. uh, because it sounds like a very Christian word, doesn't yes, it? <laughs> like a Christian yes, term, it does. I mean. uh, Alhamdulillah, I think... What um, is a Muslim chaplain? So it, it did, first of all, it did come from <laughs> um, uh, the Christian faith. So we have um, chaplains. I think we've had chaplains here in UK for a long time now, I would say from... 1970s I believe in the hospitals I remember seeing them as a child myself you know they would walk out in robes and the idea was that they were there to provide spiritual uh, care and support for the people who were you know undergoing um, medical care or who were uh, you know who'd experienced losing people losing members of their family or friends Uh, and I believe it's developed here in this country now so now what we have is a multi-faith chaplaincy services Um, and it's not just in hospitals now you find we have them in prison cells for example we have them also in um, uh, retail so one of uh, my roles um, as a chaplain is at a retail which is in Canary Wharf and that just entails what you're really doing is providing pastoral care so spiritual Mm. care so it's within the framework obviously I come from a background of faith which is Islam but we also have um, uh, um, Christian um, you know we have uh, priests reverends and we have rabbis so the idea is that we provide a multi-faith chaplaincy service we go out and we speak to people and you know they could be um, experiencing different problems whether it's job related related to their personal life or you know something that's happened within that vicinity Mm. but you just provide them um, with some support so if it happens to be somebody with a certain faith background you know you can provide them uh, somebody to talk to from that particular faith usually I find most people are quite happy to speak to anybody so you know I can speak to a Christian person or somebody of no faith and I think at the end of the day what they're really looking for is just somebody to listen to them and just mm. a human touch and somebody who cares so I guess what you're really trying to do is it's providing um spiritual care but on a a humankind level um i don't know if there's something you've heard this often reminds me of um maslow's hierarchy levels if you ever come across that and i believe most people think there's five levels but he actually added another level can you explain explain it for yeah so maslow's hierarchy is um, a hierarchy of human needs and what he initially uh, stated was five levels and this was in the 1940s I believe so he stated our basic needs as you know your physical needs food uh, clothing uh, shelter etc on the second level I believe he talked about security uh, you know feeling safe um, 
and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the third level was about relationships, um, you know, self-esteem, um, being loved by others, you know, having relationships, your relationships with your family, your friends, etc. Um, and I'm sorry, actually, self-esteem was part of the fourth uh, level. And on the fifth level, what he talked about was um, uh, actualization, so self-realization, um, you know, and kind of discovering what you want to do, what you want to achieve in life. And I would say that my own journey, where I came to was, so, you know, Alhamdulillah, you, you've obviously raised a family, you've gone through those levels of, um, you know, raising your children, and you've come to a point where I talked about having lost my mother, and you start thinking about where you're going now. And I think this is a point where perhaps I questioned my self-realization of, you know, or my actualization, what am I doing with myself? Okay, so mm. I'm a mother and I'm a wife, but who am I? You know, what am I going to do as a person? And I think that's probably where I began my journey and started, um, you could say, committing to it more and more um, as I was going along. And I think one of the things, um, the reason I mentioned Maslow's hierarchy level was there was a sixth level which he added um in the 1970s, that's because, um, you know, before he died, he he thought about, he took on the criticisms and he added the sixth level. And the sixth level he named was transcendence. And what this means is, is that it's about giving back to mankind. So it's about, um, you know, once you've reached that um, actualization, then how do you then give back to humankind? Mm. And I would say for us as Muslims, that's certainly true because once you've achieved what you want to do, I mean, uh, for uh, for me, having completed the Alimiya, Daratul Hadith, and in fact, you can go on studying as much as you like, mm. but really for us, it's an ongoing thing because, you know, when you finish your studies, our duty hasn't ended. If anything, your duty mm. has begun and you've just begun the actual learning and, you know, you've thrown yourself into that responsibility. Absolutely. And if anything, your burdens will grow. Um, yeah. But you want to be happily, you know, dispensing those responsibilities and helping people and being making a difference, not just to Muslims, yeah. but to non-Muslims, um, you know, to other society believers. It's society yeah. in general. So I think mm. that's something important for all Muslims to take away is that we are not just here for ourselves, we're here for mankind. Absolutely. Um, you know, mm. and I think that's the higher goal that we need to be mm. looking at. So that's why I felt it was important to um, bring in Maslow's hierarchy level because mm. I think that really puts things in perspective and in I terms of what you want to achieve. And I guess it motivate you with chaplaincy. Chaplaincy, yeah. that's right, mm. yes. Sure. I think that brought it together. Yeah. Um, and not only that, actually, uh, there was a visit with which Ibrahim College arranged to Oxford uh, Christian Muslim School. I think that certainly pay, played a part in bringing that um, faith, multi-faith aspect into my life, I guess. Mm. And I think it also made me realise how you could dispense with that duty, but, you know, in a way that you're not just providing that service to Muslims, but you're providing it to, um, you know, other faiths and no faith. So across the board, you know, to non-Muslims as well. And, yeah, certainly it makes you connect to human beings. Um, on a greater level, I think. Well, Jazakallah Khairan, Sada Saleha. I'm going to ask you one more thing that I'm, I, I wonder, you know, after all of this journey that you <laughs> went on and, mashallah, how did your studies, how did, you know, your new perspective on life, I guess, oh. 
um, help you as a mother? As because I think one of the things you said was that originally, you know, you were motivated very much by uh, wanting to teach your kids. And mm-hmm. so, how has it helped you with any challenges you faced um, as a mother and within within your family um, and children? I would say my biggest challenge was um, when my older son, um, you could say he became temporarily unwell. But at that time, we didn't know that it was going to be temporary because um, the problem he had, you know, it wasn't diagnosed and we couldn't find what was wrong with him. So that was a difficult time. And if I could just go back to beginning in Arabic intensive, what happened was so I made the decision of beginning, um, you know, full-time studies because I thought I have a son, older son, who's already in secondary school and I have a younger one who will just be beginning. And I thought, you know, it's a perfect arrangement. Mm. Have my older son looking after my younger one. They'll be going to school together. We'll all leave at the same time. We'll be coming home together. Um, but, you know, at least I'll be there for the evening supporting them through their studies. Um, you know, we'll still be having our family meals, conversations. I'll still be there as a mother and a wife. Uh, I just thought, you know, it was a perfect timing. You know, I thought this is going to be really easy, um, as you like to think. And alhamdulillah, you know, just uh, literally within the first week, um, I'm getting called from school. And this was during one of my lessons. So I left the lesson to receive this call. Didn't think much of it at the time. You know, the uh, school just called up and said, your son's collapsed. Um, you know, um, shall we call the ambulance? You know, will you come? You know, we're not sure what to do with him. Um, so I called up my husband. Both of us left immediately. We just thought, OK, it's a one-off incident. You know, something's happened. You know, of course, you panic as a parent, but you think we'll deal with it. Um, and we didn't think much of it. He'd collapsed. His leg was in a cramped position for a long time. So it's just something he was going through. Um, and we didn't call the ambulance. My husband just carried him out of school and, you know, we took him home. We did visit the doctors and, you know, kind of related what was happening. Um, it was to do with an incident a year earlier. He'd fallen on a bouncy castle. Um, you know, he had an accident. Um, but he'd been walking that year, you know, feeling twitches and having some problems. We, we never thought it was going to become an issue. Um, and so after that first week, I didn't think anything. But as I got in more and more into my studies um, and as weeks passed by, we got more calls. He was collapsing. Um, and at one time, I remember he collapsed on the road and it was a very scary experience for him, um, you know. And if we're not close enough, you know, then we have to rely on others to go and uh, tend to him or rely on the school so you know slowly I started questioning what was going on and whether I should be studying and you know what's happening with my son three months into it I think things started to get a bit more serious it was happening more regularly he was collapsing in school so first things first we thought okay we need to take him out of school and then we um, you know started considering homeschooling or you know they said he could be tutored um, because he has a medical need but he needs to be diagnosed first but that was the problem um, it they his uh, ailment if you like you know it wasn't recognized so he had this problem with his knee and it just escalated and by the end of the year I mean he was bedridden um, and you know this is a young boy in his teenage years um, you know and mashallah he was one of those straight A, a star students, you know, had his future planned out, um, you know, so it was a difficult time. 
But I think for me, it was quite a simple decision. I thought, you know, well, you know, your children, your family are your priority. Um, mm. So I didn't even need to think about it. I thought, okay, I'll stop my studies. Arabic intensive and that's enough for me. I'll stop there. I've done one year of Arabic. So naturally, you know, as you do, I consulted my family. Um, but first I wanted to speak to my son. So I, I told my husband, look, I've decided I'm going to, I think I, it's time I leave um, full-time studies because mm -hmm. we don't know where we're going with my son. You know, uh, we don't know what's involved for him over the years to come. Um, he needs somebody caring for him at home. Um, so my husband was quite supportive. And then I, I thought, well, you know, let me have a, a word with my son. So I spoke to my son and I said, you know, I've decided I'm going to stay home. I'm going to take care of you. Um, and he was 15 at the time. I, re I remember he said, well, and I think perhaps he didn't like the fact that I was willing to, you know, stop everything that I was doing just to take care of him. And he said, mum, you know, I am going to get better, aren't I? Um, and I said, yes, of course. He said, sure. well, if you truly believe that, he said, why are you giving up what you're doing? And uh, <laughs> so he really put me in a difficult position, but he put me in a position to think about it. And I thought, he's got a point. Um, you know, do I have faith? You know, because that's what we're all about. We don't know what the future holds, but we move forward um, relying on our faith. And I thought, and subhanAllah, you know, we as Muslims, that's all we have. And I thought, he's actually made such a... Uh, you know, crucial, it's such an important point. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to have faith. Um, and so it was on his saying, I thought, okay, in that case, I'll carry on. Uh, but I made a deal with him. And I said, look, here's the deal. I'm going to carry on, but I want to be here with you. So if you feel that you're going to get stuck or you're having a hard day, you call me, I'll come back. Or you've had a fall, you come back. Because you see, there were times in the day that he could walk, but he just stopped going out because when he would collapse or when he couldn't uh, use his legs anymore, then he, he would be there for 12 position. to 17 yeah. hours. So, uh -huh. um, you know, and then he would need help. So we, ha we had this mm -hmm. arrangement going and alhamdulillah, I don't think it was an easy choice, but he certainly, uh, you know, um, influenced my choice. And I think, but the important message here would be that, you know, when you have a child like that in your family, it's not a decision you make alone, nor mm. that child makes alone, but it's your uh, family. You have to make decisions as a family. And I would say we even involved my younger son, although he was uh, merely 11 or 12 at that time but I remember all four of us sat around the table and we discussed it together you know what part we were going to play how we were going to do this and you know having that uncertainty but how we were going to help each other and support each other and so I think that's a really important thing that in our family we treated everybody though I'm the mother you know my husband's the father and they were just young children if you like but we all treated we treated everybody's input equally and took that into consideration I think that's something really important for a family uh, it doesn't matter how young your children are you want them to feel comfortable to say what their mm. uh, you know what their discomforts are or whether they agree or disagree with your uh, decision and I think that was certainly one of my strengths and one of the reasons that I was able to complete that course um, I think you know it's the having that support structure or network with your immediate family but also with your um extended family as well um you know for example my father he provided me a place with parking i, I would you know crash out at his house because he's local to ibrahim college so i had that support there i had mm. support from my family i had support from ibrahim college we had um 
at that time we have Maulana um, um, Sadiq and Maulana Shamim and you know and the admin thereafter but they all supported me through those difficult times so you know right. I was able to call into lessons so I wouldn't miss lessons and if I had to leave they were quite understanding I would leave uh, but the one thing I tried not to compromise was um, you know being let off easily for the exam so I sat all the exams as <laughs> with the other students because yeah. otherwise it wouldn't be fair mm. uh, you know so um but I was given leeway in other ways, of course. Yeah. And I think, alhamdulillah, it was because of that support structure that I was able to complete that. But I would say sure. also because it was the alamiya and because you're doing Islamic sciences, you know, you're studying um, Quran, you're studying Hadith, you're studying the lives of the Sahabi, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and you're taking examples from their lives, you're taking examples from the Quran, um, you know, and it's like you're conversing with them yourself. Mm. So then to come home and be faced with this, to think, um, you know, it changes your life because every one of us, my husband, myself, my younger son, um, even my son who was in this situation, we all had to change our roles. Mm. Um, you know, we all had to adopt and it's quite a burden on any family when one person is sick. And I think that sometimes I felt what kept me together was just being able to reference the Quran or being able to take examples from the Hadith. And I would take those, mm. there were days where I would study something at college and I would think, subhanAllah, that applies to me. Mm. So I would take it home, I would share it with my husband, I would share it with my children. Um, and I feel that kind of made us stronger, but not Absolutely. only stronger. Do you remember we were talking about, you know, words and meanings, but I believe that taught me the meaning of what I was learning because mm. otherwise you're just learning it verbally but when you have to apply it to your life you're understanding the meaning and you're understanding how the Sahabi applied it to their life and you understood faith because you think what is having faith I didn't know that my son you know would be like that for four years and it was four years of my study so throughout that alamiya that he was like this it was towards the end of the alamiya that alhamdulillah you could call it a miracle that we found his cure. Um, and, you know, it happened to be literally, I mean, I could quickly tell you this story. It was my husband, we'd seen a specialist um, and uh, my husband told me that, you know, he. we'd seen so many specialists by this time and we were just told they didn't know what was wrong with uh, my son and that, you know, they really just didn't know what to do. Um, and, uh, and one of the consultants, he recommended a friend of his um, but he said that, you know, he was abroad and he hadn't visited for 10 years. And so, subhanAllah, I think my husband, he contacted him and he said, you wouldn't believe what just happened. He said, that friend of mine that I, was, I mentioned to you um, who hasn't been to this country for 10 years, well, he's here now and he's, he's, he's here for three months. So I'd like him to take a look at your son. Um, and, and that was it, really. So within two, three months, he was you know, well again. And it happened that fast <laughs> that it almost wiped away the four years that he suffered. Wow. Uh, I can't explain it, but you know, when you're in pain and you're going through that, you kind of think this is never ending. And yeah. it's the hope that keeps you going, the faith that keeps you going. And you kind of think, okay, there's betterment in this for me. You know, it's washing away your sins. It's making me stronger. And it's easy for you to tell yourself that, but how do you explain that to your child? Um, so, but when the cure did come, um, you know, alhamdulillah, and he was able to get the movement of his leg back, I think I remember sitting and thinking, subhanAllah, it's four years. It felt so long at the time. 
But looking back, I thought it's almost like a blink of an eye. It's nothing. Wow. It's nothing. But you know that you think, Alhamdulillah, I never, ever thought that it would come so soon. We honestly didn't know how long he was going to be like that. Uh, But the only thing I would say that we had was faith that, okay, we know that he will be well. You hope that it's going to be sooner rather than later. But Alhamdulillah, it came when it came. Um, And I would just say this, that my whole journey, if I had to wrap it all up, I once said to one of my teachers that um, in Surah Ali Imran, um, Allah says, And that often goes through my mind because it's not whether we think we're worthy of something or not. It's whether Allah thinks you're worthy of it. And remember, he's the one who hides our flaws because only we know what we're hiding within us. And if he chooses to honor you, then he's honored you. You accept that responsibility and you do it you know, to the best of your abilities and you do it sincerely and honestly and that's all we can really do. Um, but really, I think we need to remember that it's been bestowed upon us. It's not something we did for ourselves. So it's mm-hmm. a huge responsibility and we just pray, pray that Allah gives us the tawfiq, uh, you know, to fulfill the role that he's given to each and every one of us um, and to go for what we believe we can do uh, and inshallah leave the rest up to him. Oh, subhanAllah. Jazakallah khairan salihah. Jazakallah salihah. For, for sharing such a powerful story with us. I'm sure it's mm. really res- going to resonate with our um, viewers and listeners. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage all of us, you know, go out, seek knowledge, uh, start the journey, you know, begin the journey. Last time uh, Dr. Haifa talked about uh, memorizing Quran, today we're talking about learning Arabic you know, the language that the Qur'an was revealed in, the language that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to to speak to us in, right? You know, we can't afford not to know that language. And also, tajweed, being able to recite his words in a in a beautiful way. Um, and Ustada Saleh has showed us how that really can impact your life and the, the trials and the struggles of life. Because I think if any of us live long enough, we are going to face trials and struggles in life and the best uh, equipment or, or, you know, Zad that we could have with us to help us on that journey is the book of Allah. So Jazakallah khairan, Ustava Saleha. Uh, brothers and sisters, do share this episode with your friends and family. Share it with somebody who needs to hear it. Um, and with that, I will bid you farewell. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.